we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles back to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll read our keynote scripture for what we've been sharing on and then move further along in some things that the God is speaking to us because all of us need some help in one area or another. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1. The Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the el uh, evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. So we know faith always has a good report. Verse 3, we see that through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word, or you could say the words of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. But our verse is, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's good to have hopes, dreams, and desires, but we have to have faith and release our faith and exercise our faith and act on our faith to have the things of God in our life. And it's what we started talking about yesterday, and we're going to continue along those lines this morning, just by direction of the Lord, is faith for finances. Because in this day that we live in, in this supernatural time that we live in, there is much uh, economic decline in our nation. People are losing their jobs. P banks are collapsing. People are losing retirements, or at least their retirement accounts are going down. Investment accounts are going down. And if we learn just to trust in the natural, we may be highly and greatly disappointed. But if we learn to exercise our faith in God, we will never be disappointed because God will supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory by and through Christ Jesus. I said this for years, and I'll just say it again. If necessary, God will send a hound dog to your door with a sack in his mouth of what you need. If you'll believe him, you'll never, the righteous, David said, I have been young and now I am old and I've never, never, never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. You'll never beg if you serve God and obey what God's word says. Faith is an act. Without any action, there is no faith. Faith must be demonstrated by action. In fact, one of Reverend Smith Wigglesworth's favorite phrases is faith is an act. He always said that over and over and over, even in his preaching. He said, faith is an act. He had many, many miracles. So it's one thing to believe something. It's another thing to act on what you believe. So faith is a belief in action, you could say. So we've been talking about faith for finances, and we talked about the number one thing that we need to do is practice the simple basics of God's Word, exercise our faith in that area. So let's turn back to Malachi chapter number 3 and just tie up some loose ends there and then go on from there. How about that? Now, I mentioned last night, while I was in prison, nobody told me to, nobody made me, nobody even preached to me about it, about tithing. You know, tithing, I talked about it yesterday, is one-tenth of everything that comes your way. Lord began to talk to me about tithing while I was in prison because I read it in the Bible. I didn't have anybody to tell me that tithing was of the devil. I'm smiling. Or that it passed away with the law because Jesus came to fulfill the law. And, of course, only ignorant people would think that. Excuse me. 
said, well, I think that way. Well, that's ignorance gone to seed, reproducing after itself. Because tithing was not instituted underneath the law. You have to go back and study the context of the entire Bible. But tithing was not instituted under the law, had nothing to do with the law. It was involved in the law. But Abraham paid tithes to God before the law ever came about. And if you go back and study that, and why did he do that? Because God had taught him that way. He had learned that from God. And God had shown him that he was to give one-tenth of all that he had back to God. So tithing did not pass away with the law. It was not instituted by the law. Tithing is a practice that will be practiced until Jesus comes and takes us out of here. And then I don't know what they're going to do when we get up there. <laughs> you just have to come on and go with me. We'll find out. But if you're going to, and, and the Lord began to teach me this again, because I was just, you know, happy and, and dumb and born again and just wanted to do what God's Word says. And so I just read the Bible while I was there on my old prison bunk in my prison cell. And when I seen what the Bible said, I just simply began to do it. And I used to, they let us have currency, you know, money. I mean, people had it, but it was illegal to have, you know, in prison. I, so I would get postage stamps. You could go to the commissary. Which if you had money, like if somebody mailed you a money order or something, you know, and they would put it on your inmate record account, but you never actually got the money. And you, then you could go to the inmate commissary or store, whatever you prefer to call it, and you could buy items off that store. And what, some of the items you could buy was, was stamps. And I would buy books of stamps or whatever it is, and I would mail them out to a ministry. In fact, I would mail them to Kenneth Hagin Ministries because they'd been such a blessing to me. And not only would I tithe by sending them stamps, I would give offerings too. You've never given an offering. You may think you have, but you've never given an offering until you have sown your tithes, which already belongs to God. The tithe does not belong to you or to me. It belongs to God. So, Brother Randy, do you tithe? We absolutely do. We tithe our ministry. We tithe our, our personally, my wife and I. My son tithes. The dog tithes. Everybody tithes. Yeah, everybody in our house is going to get right with God. We tell Senorita Maria Greer, which is a Rottweiler that's locked in a Chihuahua's body. I don't know if you've ever seen one or not. It's a Rottweiler locked in a Chihuahua's body. She's been born again. She stands about that tall. We tell Senorita, you better pray. She'll, she'll get down right then. She gets serious. When we kneel down and start praying, she gets right down there with us, and she politely lays there on the floor. She don't bark. She don't move. She don't do nothing because she knows God's going to show up every single time. We tell her, you got to pay your tithes too. If you get a blessing, you get a present, you got to tithe off of that. Of course, she's glad too. That means she gets plenty more. So tithing or obeying God's word, you can just put it like this. Tithing or obeying God's word should not be a drudgery to a Christian. We shouldn't be looking for excuses to get out of obeying God's word. We should be finding excuses why we should obey God's word. Because I want to do what God's word says. The Bible says we are to prove him. And we talked about that. We're talking about faith for finances. So in Malachi chapter 3, why are we talking about this? Because our society needs help in this area. And we're talking about how to get the principles of God's Word working. Malachi chapter 3, verse number 8. The Bible says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. 
but you say, wherein have we robbed thee? It says, in tithes and offerings. Notice he said, God said, and he's telling them, the nation, you have robbed me, how in tithes, one-tenth of everything you're supposed to be giving back to me. And not only that, but offering, offerings. He said, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And that doesn't mean, I, I explained this yesterday, you really need to get the recording from yesterday to get the whole impact of what I say, because I'm not going to cover all that again. But uh, that, that doesn't mean that God is sitting up there with a curse wand on his throne, and it is looking for somebody that's not paying their tithes and say, uh-huh, twang, you're under a curse. Twang, you're under a curse. Doing, you're under a curse. No, God's not doing that. The earth is already under a curse. And any time you're out of obedience of God's word, you're out from under the protection of God's blessing. And if you're out from under the protection of God's blessing, then you're automatically under the curse. The Bible says in Galatians 3.13, Christ has, past tense, redeemed us from the curse of the law. Redeemed who? Those that obey God's word and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know you can be right in one area of Christianity and wrong in another? I said, you can be right in one area of Christianity and be wrong in another? Do you know you can obey part of God's Word and then disobey other parts of God's Word as a Christian? Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to hell today or we're going to call fire down on you or God's got a fire wand and, and going to torch you up and barbecue you. But we want to obey the whole counsel of God's Word. If you want the whole blessing that God has to offer, you obey the whole counsel of God's Word. If you just want part of a blessing, you just obey part of God's Word, and you get by somehow kicking, screaming, slapping, jumping, praying, fasting maybe, claiming, confessing, knocking, whatever else you can, just slip by and fight your way through life, but it don't have to be that way. When you obey the whole counsel of God's Word and just simply do it because the Bible says it, get out of rebellion, and get into obedience, then you're going, to, uh, you're going to receive the whole blessing of God's Word. You can be partially blessed, or you can be greatly blessed based on God's Word. So we certainly do not want to rob God of what we're supposed to do to help His work in this earth. I said this yesterday, but I'll say it again. Someone said that God doesn't need our money. But that's not true. God needs our money as Christians to promote his work in the earth. God does not have printing presses in heaven and he doesn't print $100 bills or write checks in heaven and then rain them down on earth. If he did, he would be a counterfeiter and he would be a fraud. He doesn't do that. So the way that he finances the ministry, the way he finances the gospel is by us simply being obedient to what God's word says to do. And certainly we want to see God's word and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ go throughout the land. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. The Bible says, bring you all the tithes. Notice it says all. It didn't say partial. It didn't say part. It says all the tithes. Where? Into the storehouse. Where's the storehouse? It's the local church that you attend. That's your storehouse. It's not the TV preacher. Excuse me. It's not even the radio preacher. And I've been on TV and I've been on radio. It's not the traveling minister, and I am a traveling minister. It's not the uh, homeless shelter. 
And I've been in homeless shelters, and we support them. It's not some kind of organization, even the Red Cross. It is the local church. Boy, y'all kind of quiet this morning. Makes me think something wrong in here. <laughs> ain't nothing wrong, is there? I ain't stepping on nobody's toes, am I? You ain't going to duck down behind a bench like Brother Tom did, did you? Now, does that mean that we do not support these particular organizations? Certainly not. We want to support organizations. We want to help people. But first, we support the work of God. We support the local church. And then the local church, in its endeavors, reaches out to help these organizations, just like this church does. This church is involved in many different aspects of ministry. And by us pooling our resources together in a local church, we're able to help more people on a greater scale than if we just tried to do it by ourselves. And that's why we pool our resources and help. But the storehouse is a local church where you go and you're fed spiritually on a continual basis. And you say, well, what if I don't have a local church? Well, that's your first problem right there because you're disobeying the Word of God. Boy, I am sharp this morning, all right? <laughs> that's the truth. Every person needs a local church and a local pastor. Say, well, Brother Randy, I don't agree with everything down there at that church. I don't agree with everything that pastor has to say. I don't agree with everything. Well, I'll be honest with you. I don't think I've ever met anybody. I, I've never met anybody that I know of that I agreed with fully on everything. But that don't mean that I'm going to lay out a church just because I don't agree with everything. And I heard Dad Hagen say the same thing. Dr. Kennedy Hagen said he never met anybody in all his travels that he agreed with fully on. You remember a man named Dad Goodwin that Dr. Kennedy Hagen used to talk about? Anybody remember him? You know, that was some of Mom and Dad Hagen's best friends. But do you know that doctrinally, they disagreed, highly disagreed, on some key doctrinal issues, Brother Hagen and uh, Dad Goodwin. But that didn't mean he didn't fellowship with them. <clears throat> that didn't mean he, didn't write, he wrote them off. He said they, they knew how to pray. They knew how to get a hold of the horns of the altar, so to speak, and God used them supernaturally. So some of his best friends that he had for many, many years, Mom and Dad Goodwin, and that was Mom and Dad Hagen, Hagen uh, they disagreed on key, I mean key doctrine issues. In fact, if I told you what they were, it would give you ladies a free permanent wave, and you men may never need a haircut before. Again. But Brother Hagen didn't get all put out with it, you know, because all of us are still here, and we're all still human, and all of us are human, and we can miss it. And in fact, sometimes, probably when you think the other fella or the other lady, or the other person is wrong, it may be you. <laughs> Thank you, nobody's shouting now, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then when you grow a little bit, and develop a little bit, I have people, you know, periodically challenge me on things that I say, and I always tell them, I'm human and I can miss it. And because you have to have that attitude. You can't get the attitude, well, I know it all, I'm Mr. Big Stuff, because certainly I don't know it all, and I have noticed over the years <clears throat> that people have ministered things to me and told me things in a kind way, and, but I didn't see it the way they saw it at the time. But later on, sometimes three, four, five years later, I seen it just as clear as they did, in fact, a little bit more than they did. But I wouldn't at the same spiritual level that they were at the time. 
And that's why I don't go around telling everybody everything I know. And I don't know it all. Dad Hagen left this earth. He went to heaven saying this. I was with him in his last meeting. I was with him his last few days on earth because that was my assignment. <clears throat> but he said, I know a lot of things. This is what he said. He didn't say it in pride. I know a lot of things that I've never told anybody. See, you don't tell everybody everything you know. Somebody said, I'm just going to give you a piece of my mind. Granny said, you need to keep your mind. You need a little bit to work with up there. You know, even Jesus did not tell everything he knew. Hold your place right here. Turn to St. John 16. There's a time to talk, but there's also a time to be quiet. Sometimes, you know, even, you know, my wife will know certain things because she's with me all the time. And then maybe we'll be talking to somebody or somebody will be talking to me. And this person will be just kind of plowing my field crosswise about a particular doctrinal issue or something. And she knows what I think about it because she's there and, and with me all the time. And she will later say to me, why, why didn't you just tell them? What, you could have proved it to them in the Bible. You could have showed them in the Bible. You, you, why didn't you just tell them that? And she was, my wife loves me, wants to protect me, you know. And I said, honey, I said, the reason I didn't tell them is because they're not on a spiritual level enough to receive it. I said, all it would have done was have created a bigger argument because they're never going to see it my way until they grow beyond where they're at. And that doesn't lift me up. But sometimes you just flat don't tell everything you know. Because if you do, it can get you in trouble. Where did I say turn to? John 16. What's this got to do with tithing? I don't know, but maybe we'll fit it in here somewhere. Brother Hayden said these side journeys sometimes are just as good as the main subject or the main thought. But this is <clears throat> the words of Jesus Christ. Could we believe Jesus and follow his example? St. John chapter 16, verse number 12. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his followers right before he went to heaven. And look what he said. He said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. You couldn't understand them if I told you. You couldn't perceive them if I told you. He's still talking. That, that don't mean that you tell everything that you know. Notice Jesus did not tell his disciples and followers before he left this earth everything he knew. He's still revealing things today. In fact, most of the ones that he was talking to right there, in fact, I'd just say it like this. All of them didn't even really understand who he was. The greater revelation came when Paul was called by the Lord and then Paul received the revelation of what Jesus actually came to do and accomplish in this earth through the believer and through the local church. And Paul wrote approximately, not quite, but approximately three quarters of the New Testament. And that's where the greater revelation came from. It didn't come with just his disciples that followed him every day. What we would call the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And of course we know one of them, Judas, you know, that uh, had betrayed the Lord. And then they chose another one, I think was it Matthias, to kind of take his place with that him that they chose over in the book of Acts. But anyway, they really did not have a handle or a grip or a good understanding on who Jesus was. How do you know? Because after Jesus was crucified, actually when he was crucified, remember they come to arrest him and they all ran. Peter followed him at a distance, you know, and, and then they finally got in there and Peter cursed and swore and said, no, I don't even know who he is. 
And then afterwards, they were such in fear of their life, they went and locked themselves in a room somewhere and hid because they didn't realize who Jesus was. And then Jesus, remember, he came and appeared to two of them and upbraided them for their doubt and unbelief because they really didn't understand who he was yet. So he didn't tell them everything. And sometimes we have to use wisdom about what we tell other folks. Just because you've got a great revelation, you know what I mean, doesn't mean that you just spill that revelation out on somebody else. And sometimes, you know what, I've had to learn this over the years, and I'm still learning. I haven't arrived by any means. When the Lord reveals something to me, sometimes the Lord has had me not to say what he revealed to me, even though I thought it'd be pertinent, sometimes for three to four years. See, just like in 2011, there's judgment coming into church. But the Lord wouldn't let me say that. I've known that since 2005. I've known it since 2005, but I couldn't say nothing about it. Why? And why is it coming? Well, the judgment's coming because in 2006, the church disobeyed God. In 2006, the church should have been up running in the glory. They should be doing what God said, but there was a turn and a separation from the way of the Spirit, from the way of the Holy Ghost, from the way and the principles of the Bible. And sermons begin to be, uh, you know, quotes from CEOs, you know, corporate, you know, executive officers and, and things like that, and gurus and book reports or a review of some kind of ungodly movie or somebody on American Idol, which, I mean, that's, that's exactly what happened. And I'm talking about these are in Pentecostal churches. Those things rose to the forefront, and we turned and took a, a deviated beyond the path, and God has been waiting on the church now since 2006 to get back in his wheel. That's five years. In 2011, judgment will come in the church. God cannot judge the world until he judges the church. So, Brother Randy, the sin is already paid for. You can just do what you want to, and everything's fine. Well, go tell that to Jesus. Nowhere in the New Testament can you find that to be the truth. And I know that there's very important people, important people and very well-known people that pastors churches of 30,000 that are writing books saying that 1 John 1, 9 was not written to the church, which says if you confess your sins, you're faithful just, uh, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. But uh, the person that wrote that does not know what they're talking about. Because 1 John 1, 9, chapter 1, in fact, this particular uh, doctrine that's going around now. It's a doctrine of grace, you know. In fact, it's hurt more people than, than anything I know. Are saying, you know, you don't even have to go to the extreme, but you don't even have to confess your sins anymore. You're already forgiven. The only sin that Jesus Christ paid for, the only sin that he'll ever pay for, the only sin that Jesus will ever pay for for you is the sin that is confessed and forsaken. If you do not confess your sin and forsake your sin, you will pay for your sin to some degree, in some way. It's going to happen. But how do you know? I can tell you from experience and prove it to you from the Word of God. So there's all kind of goofy things that's going on out there in the body of Christ that's trying to hinder us today. Another thing about 1 John chapter 1, which is being said and stated and proclamated around the world to a high degree by well-meaning people and even well-meaning, well-known ministers. And I'm not knocking anybody. I'm not against anybody, not attacking anybody. That's why I'm not calling anybody's name. But they say that 1 John chapter 1 was written to the Gnostics or written to unbelievers. But I'd like to point out something to you. 
1 John chapter 1, in fact, the whole letter of 1 John was written in context. It was not broken up in chapter and verses when it was written. So you can't take 1 John chapter 1 and separate it from chapter 2 or chapter 3, chapter 4, so on. You know what I mean? It's all one letter. It was all written in context. It was broken up by a man later on that wrote the words down or broke up the Bible so we could have chapter 1, chapter 2. But when they wrote a letter, they didn't write it in chapter and verse. Like when you write a letter, you don't write it in chapter and verse. Isn't that right? And so all of those kind of things are not good for us today. So you don't tell everything that you know. And I don't want to get into that because that's a whole other message in and of itself. But we just throw that in for free. Yes, we still need to confess and forsake our sin. And yes, we need, still need to ask God for you. So, so Brother Randy, you're developing sin consciousness in people. No, I'm not developing sin consciousness in anybody. I'm just telling them what the Bible says. I believe that we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I do know this. I do know that Jesus Christ told Kenneth E. Hagin, and he appeared to him several times, that uh, he needed to repent of certain things. And he needed to get some things right. In fact, if you go back and you look at Brother Hagin, Dr. Kennedy Hagin's life, who was an, a prophet and an apostle to his entire generation, see, it was in divine destiny that Brother Hagin died at 55 years of age. This is in print, in publication. At 55 years of age, Jesus appeared to him, walked in the room where he was at in the hospital, pulled up a chair and sat down beside him, and said that it was in divine destiny that Dad Hagin died at 55 years of age. Now, he didn't die at 55 years of age because he repented. What had happened... Oh, no, here we go. We're going to talk about finances somewhere. <laughs> but I know you're, you want to know about this too, right? So this all has to do with finances. You're obeying the Word of God. But uh, Dr. Kenneth e. Hagin was a prophet. God had called him to be a prophet and speak to the body of Christ. When a prophet speaks by sudden revelation, sudden inspiration of the moment, their messages, as a general rule, the prophetic message is unprepared. It's not something you study out, even though you can study. There's different ministry gifts in the way they operate. But it's something that God gives you, a revelation that God gives you by the moment. That doesn't mean that you can't add to it and you can't study about it, certainly. But anyway, Dr. Kenneth e. Hagin was a teacher as well as a prophet. And he liked to put his teaching ministry ahead of his prophetic ministry. And that's what he was doing. And he was getting into trouble because he didn't realize the error of his way at the time. And the Lord had spoken to him about it uh, two times, uh, you know, spiritually, just in prayer, had led him to quit putting his teaching ministry ahead of his prophetic ministry because the prophetic ministry was so necessary in the body of Christ and was sadly lacking. There's a lot of people that call themselves something that's not. And so what God was trying to do was bring the true prophet to the forefront to speak to the, to the church because a prophet actually, in a sense, speaks for the Lord. You know what I mean? Don't make up things or nothing. But he, the Lord speaks to him. He shows him things to edify the entire body of Christ. And so Dr. Kennedy Hagin was preaching in, in a meeting. And he was, uh, back in those days, they had the old reel-to-reel tape recorders, you know, with the big reel things. And he had a mic where he was mic'd, and they could record it. And the recorder had to sit right there because they didn't have these real long cables. And he was jumping around and dancing. They got happy about the word. You know, he was noted to do that. And while he was dancing around and happy, he jumped off the platform and was going to jump down to the floor 
ain't no one dance a jig for joy, you know. And when he jumped up in the air to jump off the platform, his eyes happened to look down, and he was headed right towards that reel-to-reel tape course. So he had tried to adjust his direction of flight while in the air, and his wings just didn't work correctly. And anyway, when he come down, he hit on his elbow, and he actually chipped part of his elbow, and he hurt it pretty bad. Of course, uh, after the service was over, they, they said, you need to go to the, the, the hospital and get it checked, and so he went. So he went, got to the hospital. The doctor said, well, it would have probably been better, you know, if you'd have broke your arm, just talking about a degree of, a, of, of being hurt. He said, because what you've done, he said, you chipped your elbow, and he said, that's harder to get to heal and, and set back up than it would be if you just broke your arm, we could put a cast on it. He said, we're going to need to keep you in the hospital you know, a couple of days and monitor this. And so they, they wrapped him all up and all kind of stuff and whatever they'd done in that day, and they put him in the hospital room. And he said later that day, because it was, a, you know, the next morning after he hit the floor that night that he went to the hospital. And uh, later that day, he said he was lying up in the hospital room, you know, just meditating. He said he felt kind of lonely. No visiting hours or nothing. He was there by himself, and, you know, people would come and go every now and then. And he said about... I think around 5 o'clock, 5.30 or somewhere in there in the evening, he heard footsteps come walking down the hall of the hospital. And this door was pushed almost all the way to, maybe open four to six inches. And so he assumed it was a doctor, nurse, or somebody coming towards his room because he could hear him right there, clippity-clop, coming to where he's at. And so suddenly the door opened and he looked up and guess what? There stood Jesus. There's Jesus Christ. He said, Jesus walked right into the door. He had sandals on his feet. He walked right into the door, and there was a straight-back chair in the corner of the room. He walked over, and he got that physical chair that was there, pulled it over beside Dr. Kenneth E. Hagin's bed, sat down in the chair, folded his hands in his laps, and said to Dr. Kenneth E. Hagin, he said, now, I've come to talk to you about what I said to you in the automobile. It was the night before he was on the way to the hospital. He said, on the way to the hospital the other night, he said, I told you it wasn't going to be as bad as it was and that you are going to recover supernaturally and it's going to shock and amaze the doctors. He said, but the reason I come to talk to you, he said, it was in divine destiny that you die at 55 years of age because you are putting your teaching ministry ahead of your prophetic ministry. He said, now, before... I, you may say, well, did I know that this was going to happen, that I was going to hurt my elbow, that I was going to get here in the hospital? He said, yes, I knew it was going to happen. He said, you may ask, could I have prevented it from happening to you? Jesus is asking, telling Brother Hagin that. He said, yes, I could have prevented this from happening to you. He said, but I didn't. He said, I permitted it to happen even though I did not do it. He said, I permitted it or allowed it to happen to get your attention because you were out of my will and you need to repent and you need to get right. I'm talking about 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. People are saying it's not for today. Jesus Christ said it is for today. Another thing is, somebody said you don't have to repent of your sins. But Jesus Christ stood right there at the temple in Matthew 24, and he told the disciples, there will not be one stone left upon another right here. He talked about the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, in the New Testament era, after the shed blood, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, in the church age, the Roman general Titus, in, I think in 70 A.D., walked into Jerusalem, annihilated the temple and the people there, and took them captive. 
And that's in the New Testament. Why? Because they didn't repent. Capernaum. He prophesied over Capernaum and told them that it would be a waste place. If you go to Israel right now, you can walk on the ruins of Capernaum, and it was destroyed in the New Testament era because they would not repent of their sins. Well, 1 John 1, 9 is not for today. You better go tell Jesus then. And you talk to him if you make it <laughs> and tell him up there. But anyway, Jesus is sitting there in the uh, hospital room and uh, talking to Brother Hagin. He said, now, if you don't get mad at me for not preventing this from happening to you. He said, because if I hadn't, I had not permitted it to happen, he said, I didn't do it. He said, but I allowed it to happen. He said, you got into disobedience, and this is why this happened to you. He said, if I had not permitted this to happen to you and got your attention and arrested your attention, he said, you would have died at 55 years of age. Well, Ramah didn't start till Brother Hagin was 57. There'd have been no Ramah. You would have not known your pastor. You'd have not known me. We might probably have never known one another. And the revelation that needed to come into the earth would never have came. You understand that? So Brother Hagin would have never lived long enough to start Ramah Bible Training Center. And so Jesus told him, he said, you've been putting your prophet, uh, teaching ministry ahead of your prophet, uh, prophetic ministry. And Brother Hagin said, the reason he did that is because he had a natural bent or preference towards teaching, and except the prophetic. I'll tell you about the prophetic and how it works because God uses me that way. The prophetic ministry is, is a walk of faith because in teaching, and we need the teaching gift, we need the ministry gift, in teaching, you can pre-plan what you're going to say. You can come up with doctrinal issues and talk about things. In fact, if you want to know the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, the prophetic ministry is in operation right before your eyes right now. I don't know if you understand that or not. God is speaking to some people sitting right here in this room and had me turn and go in a different direction, and that's the prophetic. See, I'm speaking by sudden inspiration at the moment. I hadn't pre-planned to say this. I hadn't started to say this. And when I start on this journey, it's a faith walk because I don't have any scripture. I don't have any chapter. I don't have any verse. I don't have anything like that. And that don't mean you're some great woo-wee something. That don't mean the ministry gifts any better than anybody else. But that's how it operates. But most people never see it. Most people never understand it because, and most even in our circles, you're condemned to hell if you, you know, were to say that there's an apostle or there's a prophet or something like that. Maybe not to hell, but dangled over it anyway. And, and it's not, and it's not, and it's not because people are mean or bad. It's because there's been so much excess and error in this area that people just kind of just push that away. But no, we're going to have the full, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. If we don't, we'll never have the fullness of God's move in the earth. We're going to have it all. And all of us are going to work together. That would be a miracle of God. <laughs> but we're going to work together, and only God could do it. But in the teaching ministry, Brother Hagin said he had a natural preference for it because, you know, in the prophetic, a lot of times you have, you have to step out, walk out by faith, and God just begins to reveal things to you and you have to kind of flow with him and follow him and that doesn't mean that any other ministry gifts can't be used that way certainly they can and revelation and things like that but anyway he just had a natural preference for the teaching it was a comfortable place it didn't take as much faith in a sense just to stand there and, and teach and he liked that too and in fact he said if he hadn't wound up being you know a, a preacher 
he would have been a, an attorney. He liked arguing about things and discovering things. In fact, he said when he was a, a child, he used to sneak off from the house, you know, and he would go down to the courtroom and he would sit up in the balcony and watch the attorneys argue cases and he would think, well, I could do that better than they could, you know what I mean, <laughs> and, and how he could do it. So he had this a, a natural bent or leaning towards teaching. But the Lord said, you've got to make this adjustment and you've got to take your prophetic ministry and you've got to put it ahead of your teaching ministry. And then he pointed out to him, Jesus pointed out to him, he said, nowhere in the scripture does it put the teaching ministry ahead of the prophetic. He said, everywhere that the prophet or the teacher is listed together in the scripture, it always puts the prophetic ministry ahead of the teaching ministry. And he said, you've reversed the role. He said, you tried to put the teaching ministry ahead of the prophetic ministry, and that's not right. And he said, you need to make this correction. So Dr. Kennedy Hagin repented, and he talked to him for about an hour and a half. In fact, the book uh, called How to Be Led of the Spirit of God. Anybody ever heard of that book by Kenneth e. Hagin? That book came from that experience. If you want to read about some of these things, you can go get that book. You won't find it all there, but that's where that book came from. Jesus told him and gave him a commission at that time to go and teach his people how to be led by the Spirit of God. And that's where the book came from, How to Be Led of the Spirit of God. And so I encourage you, if you have that book, knock the dust off of it and begin to read it, to meditate on it, and practice being led by the Spirit of God because that's the greatest thing we can do. But Dr. Kennedy Hagin said this, and I got to talking about him. He said that he never had never told everybody everything that he knew. Why? Because Jesus didn't tell everything he knew while he was on this earth. How do we know that? St. John 16, he said, I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. So sometimes it's best just not to tell everything you know. And again, I've had to learn that over the years. And again, the Lord began to talk to me in 2005, about 2011, but I couldn't start talking about it to about a year, a year and a half ago. Because the Lord said, it's not time to say it. It's not time to release it. Before God ever does anything in this wor world, somebody in the ministry is going to prophesy it. Somebody is going to declare it. Because only the things that God declares will he bring to pass in this earth. Thank God for his goodness and thank God for his mercy. So what we want to do, though, is we want to continue to examine this area of finances and faith for finances. So you're turning back to Malachi chapter 3. Isn't that right? So that was all a side journey. Are you ready to come back on the main path now? And that was just supernatural. But Brother Hagin used to say the side journeys are just as good, a lot of times, a main thought. But in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible says, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. And we got to talking about all that through the local church and who the local church is. That there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now, here would saith the Lord of hosts. If I not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive it. So we want to obey God. Notice there. The storehouse is a local church that you attend. Every person needs a local church. It's not the traveling preacher. It's not the radio preacher. It's not the TV preacher. It's not the homeless shelter. It's, all of those things are well and good, and we want to support them and help them, but we want to tithe and give offerings to our local church. Now, does that mean that I don't want you to support Randall Greer Ministries? I don't need partners in my ministry? Well, certainly I do. I need help, and I need support. Yes, you need to be my partner. Don't make me come back there. Because you're not supporting me in a sense. You're supporting the work of God. Yes, I got staffed in there. I don't know what's wrong with them. I said, I don't know what's wrong with my staff. But every Friday, they want to stick their hand out and they want a paycheck. I thought they was working for the Lord. They want a paycheck for some reason, you know what I mean? 
I don't know why they want money. And you know, amazing thing, probably some of you do the same thing. You probably don't go to work every day and then get Friday and say, well, I don't want no check, just keep it. I'm just blessing you. No, you go to work, and what motivates you to go to work is M-O-N-E-Y, M-O-U-S-E. Y'all thought he was Mickey Mouse, but that rat's made more money, remember? Than any rat I ever known. And so you go, and your motivation for going to work is money because you're going to get a paycheck. And God doesn't mind that. But when it comes to ministerial things, most people think the preacher ought to starve to death. And he ought to live on barely get along street and have nothing. And everybody else in life can have everything. But that's not true. And if you don't watch it sometimes, traveling ministers, I'll just get out here. I'm going to wait out here and just really get out here. Traveling ministers are taking advantage of a lot of times because of the fact that people don't understand what they go through. All the travel expenses involved, all the time they're away from their family, the office and all the stuff that goes on over there, they don't, they don't take that into effect. In fact, a lot of times the traveling ministry is merchandised in our society today. It's taken advantage of. They, they're brought in to profit from that ministry, but the ministry itself or the ministry itself or the ministry that's coming in never profits or benefits because a lot of times it costs them more money to come and do the meeting than they receive in the offering. Don't make me come back there. I'm smiling. But God always takes care of us. And God always supplies for us. And I'm not saying it happens every place, because certainly it don't. And your pastors wouldn't allow that to happen, because they're good people. But a lot of times people don't see the big picture. They just see the little picture. And we can talk about the local church and how we need to support the local church. But we also need to support the traveling ministry because it's all part of the work of God. But first, we put the local church first and we support the local church. And then if you have anything over and you want to, just go ahead and send it to us. It'll be all right. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But there's no pressure on anybody. So I said, what do you do with it? Well, I don't benefit from it. In fact, I haven't seen a paycheck, and I don't know how many years. My wife gets it all. <laughs> I don't. I haven't. And that's the truth. I haven't even signed a check or anything. I don't do anything with it. I don't handle anything to do with that. I don't really know who all does what in our ministry or as far as the giving. I don't get involved in that because sometimes it hinders me from saying things that I need to say because if I know certain church have done this, and I may be motivated because somebody gave some money not to say something. And I don't want to get involved in that whatsoever. So, well, how do you survive? I believe God. And I sow. And I give. And, and the Lord calls it to come back to me. And that's the way I do it. And the Lord helps me. And he'll do the same thing for you. And we'll talk about that, about sowing and giving. And so we talked about Malachi yesterday. So we're not going to dig real deep into that. But uh, get the recording from yesterday. But let's turn over to 2 Corinthians and look at some more things. We're talking about faith for finances. And you've got to obey the simple principles of God's Word if you're going to prosper financially. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. <coughs> the Bible says in verse number 6, says, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, 
For God loveth a cheerful giver. Notice it, it didn't say tearful giver. Oh, my God. There they go again. Uh, don't that preacher know when to shut up? Just leave me alone. All they ever want is my money, 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 money. Yep. I know I used to be there too. But I'm not now. I found out how it works. I found out how to receive $40,000 in a pop. You sow. In fact, last year, you know, I'm a pilot, and we have a nice twin-engine airplane. And uh, I wanted to go into an airplane that was faster, more economical to operate. And I got it in my head that I was in my head. Now, you wouldn't be guilty of this because you'd follow the Lord to start with, so you wouldn't have to wrestle with your head. You know, so we'll just let you be the right. But I got it in my head that I had me a plan of how I was going to do it. You know, I had me a, a plan. I, I didn't hook and crook some kind of way. What I'm going to do is I'm going to sell this aircraft, and it's going to bring in, you know, a, a sum of money because it's paid for. And then I'm going to take this money, and I'm going to put it towards this other aircraft, which would be no problem, you know, and, and move into this aircraft. One day I was praying, this thing's wouldn't work. And it was like, uh, you know, I just kept having this sense that something wasn't right. You know, it wasn't just a bad feeling. It was kind of like washing your feet with your socks on. Just something ain't right. Or, or taking a shower with a raincoat on. I mean, just something, something ain't right. And I just kept going along that way for several months. Just, just something ain't right. And I just say to my wife, in fact, we'd discuss it. I said, I don't know what it is. I said, but somewhere I, I'm a missing it. And I just... And I wasn't going around confessing, I miss, I miss, I miss, I miss. But you, you could just sense when something's wrong. And that's why we need to learn to be aware of spiritual things. Because if you learn to be led by the Spirit of God, it's going to help you. So after about two or three months, I remember one morning, I was kneeling down praying. And, and I just, just asked the Lord, because I hadn't really asked Him. You know, I just kept talking, my wife and I would discuss it every now and then, not every day. And I just say, just something, we need to make an adjustment somewhere. And, and of course, we did make several adjustments and just worked beautifully. But um, I was down praying, and uh, I had this airplane on the market, you know, for sale, and, and, and people knew it, and had people actually looking at it and wanting it and everything. And uh, I, I was down praying early one morning. It's about three months of going through this, and he's thinking that something just ain't right here. And uh, the Lord said to me, he said, the reason you've been sensing this that something was wrong is because you're taking the wrong step in the area of your airplane. I said, I am. I said, well, do you want me to keep my airplane? He said, no. He said, I want you to have a better airplane. He said, but you're trying to sell it. He said, I want you to sew it. I said, I'm not sure this is God. Let me check this out here. You know what I mean? <laughs> this can't be God. Not sewing no twin-engine fire-breathing aircraft. My Lord, turbocharged, fly high in the sky, all sewing aircraft? I'd never give away something that big in my lifetime that was worth that much money in my lifetime. But God wanted to set me up for a blessing. I said, I don't know, I got to think about this a minute. I did, I got up and thought about it. I said, I don't think I heard that right. So I got back down and I started praying again. I said, Lord, I think you missed it on this one. You know what I mean? Because we can't do that. I mean, you know, there's no, I, I, Lord, do you realize how much money this thing costs? 
you know, I'm a country boy. You know, I, I, you taught me how to believe you for this, and so I give you the credit for it. And, Lord, you know it's paid for. Uh, Lord, I, Lord you, you, I don't know about this. Lord, I don't know. I don't know if that'd be good business sense or not. He said, son, that's the problem with most people. They look at things from a business financially perspective instead of faith. He said, if you can't believe me in this area, he said, you'll never do the things that I've called you to in other areas. See, what affects you in one area will affect something else. God was wanting to build my faith. If you're going to say, I'm going around the world preaching the gospel, well, how are you going to do that? It takes faith. And so my faith's got to grow. So what have I got to do? I've got to stretch it. And that's what the Lord taught me. He said, that's the reason I want you to sow this airplane. It's because I want you to stretch your faith. I said, all right. If you want me to sow this airplane, I ain't scared. I ain't scared, Lord. <laughs> Good country talk for city folks. But I ain't scared. I, I said, I'll do it. I said, but my wife's got to be in agreement with it. He said, she already is in agreement. I said, she is? He said, she is. I said, okay. I said, who you want me to sow it to? He said, you know that gentleman that's a traveling minister over yonder? I said, yeah, yeah. He said, uh, he's been believing me for an airplane. I said, he has? I didn't know it. This fellow wouldn't even a pilot or nothing, you know, because normally a pilot would be believing for an airplane. But he said, no, he's a traveling minister. I said, well, how in the world is he going to fly it? He said, go hire somebody to fly it for him. And so I called the fellow up. I went and talked to my wife first. She said, yeah, good, let's go for it. You ain't got no better sense than obey God to you. <laughs> Sometimes you just lose your mind. So we took that airplane, and I, I called him on the phone. And not only did I sew the airplane, when I got to sewing, and I was writing up the contract and everything. What do I mean, the contract? I'm talking about the, what they call it, a bill of sale in an airplane kind of situation to transfer the aircraft ownership over to him and his ministry and all these things. While I was sitting there doing it, you know, it, it, the Lord said, now, I don't want you just to give him the airplane. He said, I want you to give him the tug tractor that you take to tug it with, which costs lots of money. Oh, lots of money! Lots of money! He said, the tug tractor. He said, I want you to give him all the extra parts that you have. Lots of money! One turbocharger on that airplane, just one! It's $4,000. And I got two of them sitting over there. I could have sold and made me some pocket change. And he said, all the other items and specialty tools, which I had, which cost about $4,000, two, he said, sew them to him. I said, Lord, I won't have nothing. He said, good. You'll have to believe me all over again. A lot of times, the reason the Lord wants you to sow and give beyond where you're at is to get you beyond where you're at. That's why he asks you to do things that just don't fit the human mind. He wants you to grow beyond where you're at. He said, you can sell this airplane. He said, but it's going to stalemate you right there. Now, let me tell you something else about the airplane. Are you ready for this? I was going to almost try to give the airplane away about three years earlier. Can I tell on myself? Everybody always likes for me to tell on me. You know I mean? They don't like for me to tell on them, but they like for me to tell on me. Because I, it just got financed, especially after, you know, September 11th, you know, when they bombed the uh, 
uh, planes run into the trade towers and then they run into the Pentagon, whatever all they done, you know, and they had the plane crash there in Pennsylvania and, you know, all the attack that came on the nation. Well, finances got hard in our ministry. And, uh, you know, and I thought, well, what am I going to do? I mean, support, you know, cut back because everybody thought we're going to war. All kinds of things were happening. Fear gripped the nation. And so the airplane, you know, I decided, well, I'm just going to try to give this thing away. It needed some work done to it, you know, and, and things like that. I'm just going to try to almost give this thing away, for sell it for almost nothing, just to get rid of it because, you, know, you know, I'm thinking in the natural. And again, I kept having that feeling like I was washing my feet with a socks on, that sensation, or taking a bath with a uh, raincoat on or something like that. And I was down praying one morning, and the Lord said, Son, he said, you can't just give that airplane away. In a sense, you sell it for almost nothing. He said, now, I'm not going to stop you from doing it if you want to. The Lord lets you do what you want to. He said, but let me tell you something. He said, if you do it, he said, it will set a ceiling or limitation on your ministry, and you'll never grow beyond where you're at right now. I know individuals. In fact, I'm thinking of one man I know right now that has an international ministry. I've never seen anybody in my lifetime, and I don't know everybody, but I've never seen any minister more used in the gifts of the Spirit and power of God accurately than this man. But he will never fulfill his ministry because he cannot get over the level of financial prosperity. He quit because he got in a tough place. He quit because God told him to sow, and he wouldn't sow. God told him to give, and he wouldn't give. And he's sitting now, doing nothing, working for another company, not even in the ministry. But he's got an international ministry. God permits you to be in situations to cause your faith to grow. So uh, I said, Lord, what do you mean? He said, if you take this airplane, and, you know, it needs work and repair. He said, that means that you don't have to exercise your faith because I didn't have the money to fix it. And it needed about $80,000 worth of, uh, you know, upgrades. You didn't just have to have them all right then. But realistically, I mean, paint, engines, different things, and, and that wouldn't totally rebuild an engine or nothing, but, I mean, just about $80,000 because I'd already priced it, and I was about to pass out. Whew. You know, where am I going to get $80,000? Because I didn't have it in my bank account. I was going to come to your bank account and couldn't find you. You was hid good. But if you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. But the Lord said, you can do what you're thinking of. He said, but it's going to set a ceiling on your faith. It's going to set a ceiling on your ministry, and you'll never progress where you're at, and you'll never fulfill the call of God on your life. He said, you've got to exercise your faith. We was able to ask Dr. Kenny Hagin one time and say, Dad Hagin, he said, did you ever get to a place that you can just coast and you don't have to exercise your faith and you don't have any challenges in ministry or life? And this was his answer. He said, if there is, he said, I hadn't found it. He said, you're always going to be challenged. You're always going to exercise your faith, regardless of what level of ministry you're on. He said, that's just the way life is, as long as you're down here. The Lord said, now, this is what you can do. He said, you can repair that airplane. And he said, do anything you want to with it, and it's not going to hinder you. He said, but you've got to believe me. And so what I did from that, I was kneeling down. In fact, I can tell you where I was at. I was in West Decatur, Pennsylvania. You know Pastor Steve and Denise Miller? You know, you know them. 
that's with us on our ministry board and with us in AFI. But I was at their church preaching, and I was kneeling down praying at, uh, there at the hotel I was staying at. I was kneeling down praying when the Lord spoke to me about that. And he said, you can leave this airplane in disrepair and get rid of it, but it's going to steal in your faith. He said, believe me and trust me for a miracle. I mean, I was so inspired because I had a word from God. I picked up the phone, and I called a mechanic shop that I knew, this individual I knew, because I knew it needed some work done on it. And I didn't have a dime, I'll be honest with you. But I called this mechanic, and I called him, and I said, um, it seemed like his name was Terry. I said, Terry, and you rarely get him when you first call him, you know, he's so busy. Terry, this is uh, Randy Greer. He said, hey, preacher. He was lost as a goose in a snowstorm, you know. Hey, preacher, how you doing? I said, I need some work on my airplane. He said, I already knew that. He said, I've been waiting on you to call me. He had more faith in God than I did. <laughs> he said, what you want me to do? I said, well, I don't want to do nothing partial. I said, remember we talked a good time ago, over a year ago, about it. And I said, but I want to add something to it. He said, what? I said, I want to add a, a, a paint job to it, too. I want to strip it down and paint it. He said, well, you know, I don't do that. He said, but I could recommend a fellow over there in Sylvania, Georgia. And uh, he said he'll do it for about 15000 It's not like painting a car, you know. And he said it may be twenty. And he said, but that would be, have to be added to the bill. But that's something you can do on the side or I'll handle it for you. I said, no, I'll do that. I'll negotiate this. I said, can you go get the airplane? I said, I'm out of town. He said, yes, where's it at? How you getting hanger? I said, it's down at Columbus, Georgia. That's where I lived in Georgia. Now I live in Oklahoma. It's, it's down there. So he said, yes. He said, I'll get one of my pilots to fly me down there in another airplane and I'll fly yours back. So he went down there and got my airplane that day and brought it back and started working on it. By the time we got through with it, we had a little over $80,000 in the aircraft. But we just went totally through this thing. Then I moved to Oklahoma. And then I get this idea that I'm going to sell it. You know what I mean? And then upgrade it. And then the Lord told me to give this airplane away. So it just didn't make sense. I mean, when you didn't believe God for all the money, and I don't say that and put myself in pride like I am somebody, he gave me the faith to believe him with, you know. But it increased my faith, and I saw God grow, and then the Lord said, sow it. But the Bible also says, he that soweth bountifully is going to reap also bountifully. He that soweth sparingly is going to reap also sparingly. I better just shut up. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you.